Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I am very pleased that you have joined us. I am hoping that you are uh, doing well, that you are in good health. The uh, current, uh, I guess... Um, salutation, whether it be verbal or in an email or text, is uh, stay well and stay safe. And I hope that you're doing both, uh, no matter whether we're in the midst of a pandemic or not, because there are other issues that we could be talking about that actually could be classified as pandemics. Yes, indeed. Uh, I would have to say that there are. It's funny. I was talking with someone not too long ago about this and they said, well, you know, if uh, you know, we were talking about uh, alcohol and um, opioids, I think is what it was, uh, Oxycontin and so forth. And they said if uh, if um, Oxycontin or the uh, opioid is an epidemic, alcoholism is a pandemic and it is global. And, um, you know, you hear the stories. I mean, I have Irish heritage, so you hear those stories of the Irish, you know, they'll drink from Monday to Saturday. They'll fight amongst themselves and on Sunday go to church. Uh, in Russia, they drink vodka uh, to, to alleviate. I mean, there are people here in Santa Barbara I've talked with, that, uh, and they say that the uh, alcohol consumption has increased over the last, it has now been 12-plus months that we have been under this. So it's... Um, it's a very interesting time. Uh, I don't want to quote that, that Chinese proverb again. It's, it's, it's now turned into a cliche, but it is true. Um, but we're always living in interesting times. We're always living in uncertain times, but it's the scale of uncertainty. Well, today we're going to offer you some holistic help and healthy health, talking about holistic healing for anxiety, depression, uh, and uh, cognitive decline. Oh, dear. De- a decline in a cognition? We'll find out what that's all about. Brent Courtright, Ph.D., is our guest here on the program. And, uh, Brent, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. I'm hoping that you will be able to um, cure that which ails us. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> now, we deal with health a lot on this program. We talk with our guests uh, regularly. I have uh, specific guests that I will have returning to talk about other subjects regarding health and wellness. Uh, And of course, it is always better, at least I think so, I'd love your opinion on this as well, is it is always better to um, take, uh, take preventative measures than treatment and or curative measures. Um, That's exactly where I am also, when this book is, that particularly when it comes to cognitive decline, prevention is where it's at. Um, But also with anxiety and depression as well, because speaking of epidemics and pandemics, we are also in the midst of an epidemic or pandemic of anxiety and depression and cognitive decline in this country and the pandemic has made it exponentially worse is there a specific reason why i mean certainly i I, i'm that almost sounds like a real obvious and maybe silly question why but it seems to me that the one constant in the universe is change 
And that is the one element of our lives that we have been taught, programmed, told, um, insisted upon that we fight, that we fight against it, that we, we, we resist at all costs. Uh, um, when I think about um, sustainability, for example, you know, we're looking for some middle ground somewhere where we can just kind of rest there. Um, almost a static existence is what people are looking for. And it's like, that's no fun. You know, where's the adventure? And I'm not saying we need a bunch of chaos in our lives, but adventure is always nice. I mean, you know, I'd love to take a trip again uh, with my wife and our travel trailer along with our big dog, Angus, uh, like we did the month before the pandemic hit the United States. Uh, sure. Uh, but I don't need chaos. I don't need drama. Uh, but um, I'm wondering if that's where part of the problem is that we have refused as a species and even as a society here in the U.S. in particular to roll with the change or, as they say, go with the flow because nothing is permanent. Everything is temporary. Everything is in change. Um, you're right there. I mean, all the world's spiritual traditions agree with that, that change is continuous in this material world. Um, and I think that some of these changes are great and actually wonderful and enhance our health. But there are also a lot of changes which are taking place which are destructive to health. For example, if you look at Wikipedia under neurotoxins, you'll find 200 pages of lists, about 30 neurotoxins on each page. So about 6,000 neurotoxins, each of which has its own Wikipedia page, which are now in the environment, which have never been in the environment before. Wow. It's a more neurotoxic environment than we've ever seen in the history of the world by far. <clears throat> so just getting through daily life it's, it's a minefield. It's a neurotoxic minefield out there. Mm. So the rates of anxiety, depression, and cognitive decline have gone up hugely in the last 50 years. So Alzheimer's is five times higher than it was in the 1960s. Um, one in four American women between 25 and 45 is taking an antidepressant. Um, this This... It really focuses more on young people than anybody. Childhood rates of depression are five to eight times what they were in the 1960s. Wait, 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 wait. Childhood wait, wait. rates of anxiety are eight times what they were in the 1960s. Is that because kids aren't allowed to be kids anymore? Because they're faced with adult issues and challenges and concerns because they don't feel safe, not just at school, but pretty much everywhere. You know, I think it's many things. I think yeah. it's, 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 it's like death by a thousand cuts. One or two, you don't notice. You don't even notice 20 or 30. Yeah. And after 100 or 200, you begin to falter. So if I can just say some of the environmental toxins that are everywhere, that it's hard to avoid. Um, smog. You know, 90% of the world's population lives in smoggy areas. And these really tiny particles in smog, 2.5 microns and smaller, 
are so small that they get into your lungs and get into your bloodstream. And from there, they actually cross the blood-brain barrier where they act like little wrecking balls in the very delicate neurons of the brain. Wow. Creating inflammation, oxidation, um, toxicity. Jeez. Some people think that, some researchers believe that 30% of the world's Alzheimer's can be traced to smog. Um, another one is different plastics. Plastics are endocrine disruptors. And when we disrupt our endocrine and hormonal system, we affect brain function in a huge way. Mm. Plasticizers. 90% of the population in the United States has more than five plasticizers in their bloodstream. Pesticides. Glyphosate is the most used pesticide in the world. 300 million pounds of it in the United States every year. Jeez. More used in Brazil, India, China. And glyphosate is an antibiotic. So it begins to kill the microbiome, which we know is a disaster when that happens. But also it opens up the tight junctions of the intestines. So the tight junctions of the intestines are what keeps out the bad stuff and lets in the good stuff. When those open up, they let in all sorts of toxins into the body. That creates inflammation, that creates, and we know that chronic inflammation is behind most of the major chronic diseases, from cancers to heart disease to Alzheimer's, yeah. on and on. So when the tight junctions of the intestines open up, also the tight junctions of the blood-brain barrier open up because they respond to the same molecular signaling molecules. So that means that when those open up, we let in a the floodgates of neurotoxin of toxins into the brain as well. So we get leaky gut and we get leaky brain. This inflammation, again, drives anxiety, depression, cognitive decline, as well as a host of other things. So UCSF here in San Francisco did a study a few years ago and they found out that 93% of Americans have measurable levels of glyphosate in their bodies. So in the Midwest, it's used so much, and in the South, it's used so much that it's in the dust. It's in the rain. So neurotoxins like this, which are all over the place, have a dramatic effect on brain health, have a dramatic effect on our neurogenic rate. Because behind anxiety, depression, and cognitive decline, there are common neural mechanisms. There are very different psychological processes, which the book goes into, but there are common neurological mechanisms. And it's the healing of the brain, as well as the self, that this book tries to bring about. No, because you. just about everybody, I think, suffers from what I call weakened brain syndrome. Just about everybody has this kind of toxic load that is interfering with their optimal brain function. Well, now you have listed uh, quite uh, uh, an impressive list of <clears throat> uh, those elements that are interfering with our optimum health from a... Um, from a physical material perspective, 
But there seems to be, and this is just my perspective, and obviously this is a conversation. I absolutely want your input on this. That's why we have you here, is there is a greater toxin than any of those you have listed that is more destructive to human existence than anything we could manufacture in a laboratory or factory. And that, in my perspective, my observation, is the negativity, the hatred, the bitterness, the anger, the even to, to, the, to the lesser degree, the frustration that is heaped on us from almost every quarter, whether it be social media, uh, regular uh, information outlets, uh, individuals in our lives, it seems to me that that negativity is even more destructive because it literally, and, and this, I, I make this observation, okay, and I share this with you, I actually do expect that the former president of the United States is going to suffer a major health crisis that might, might, and I don't wish this on him, please understand, that might take his life. Because you cannot put out the kind of negativity and harshness that he has been putting out specifically over the last five and a half years and expect to live a healthy life. Your observations, not specifically on the former president, but on this unseen, invisible toxin. I couldn't agree more. Um, this book is a holistic approach to brain health and psychological health, meaning we exist at different levels, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And we experience all of these through the brain, through the self. So there are physical neurotoxins, and I've described just a few of them. Mm -hmm. There are very powerful emotional neurotoxins as well. And you're describing some of those. Stress, anger, hate, fear. These are powerful neurotoxins that release glucocorticoids into the brain and actually kill brain cells. Chronic stress, chronic, the, you, know, you turn on the news and your adrenaline spikes. Mm -hmm. um, it is a constant barrage of scary, scary stuff that's happening out there. That is not good for our emotional health or our brain health. There are also mental neurotoxins shoulds there are spiritual neurotoxins as well so you're right neurotoxins exist on many different levels physically is one of them so this is we are psychophysical beings right we exist as a psychological or psychospiritual beings as well as physical beings so brain health is part of this but psychological health is also part of this and so it's important to work at the psychological level as well as the physical level. Mm. So I'm completely with you on this.
And uh, bear in mind, folks, when I share my observations, I am no expert. That's why we have people <laughs> like Dr. Uh, Courtright on the program to talk with us about his book, Holistic Healing for Anxiety, Depression, and Cognitive Decline. And, of course, you, you don't have enough room on the cover of your book to list all of the, the uh, issues that uh, we want to talk about. But those are the three main ones because they do uh, affect us in, in huge ways. The other aspect you just you mentioned earlier, and I have heard this over and over and over again, and it was interesting. I was hearing it especially during the period of time uh, in the last, and again, it'll be in the last 15 years, where I was suffering uh, from a lot of joint pain, and so forth. And some maybe the doctor might have diagnosed it, diagnosed it as some form of arthritis, which I I poo pooed. I said, no, 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 no. You can call it whatever you want. What it was that you alluded to, which I need we need to talk about here, too. You said inflammation. Now, a lot of people, they don't think about it from the three dimensional perspective. It's like uh, if, if I were to smash my thumb with a hammer, the thumb is going to swell up and it's going to get big. That's gonna, it's going to inflame, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't just inflame on the outside. It inflames on the inside. And so when you have that happen in your body, not only are you seeing the outward manifestations, but the inside... Uh, the various elements, nerves and blood vessels and, and all of the other things, they're getting compressed. And so that's causing damage as well. Inflammation, it has been said uh, by some of my guests, uh, doctor, that that's really what is considered to be the sort of the core issue, that if we could just resolve that, and again, in a whole in an holistic manner, we would probably alleviate, what, maybe 95% of what ails us? Yeah, I think that's right. And, and what many people don't realize is that a lot of psychological issues also are the result of inflammation, an inflamed brain, and also create inflammation. So your example of the thumb is a good one because we need a certain amount of inflammatory possibility, right? To be able to heal a wound or to heal from a cold or a, an illness mm -hmm. requires an inflammatory response, an acute inflammatory response. So that's healthy. But the inflammation that you're talking about is chronic inflammation, where the inflammation doesn't die down after right. the wound is healed. Mm -hmm. And it's that that chews up the inside of our blood vessels that degrades the brain. Um, depression is, for most people, an inflammatory process, as well as a psychological process. Anxiety, for most people, is an inflammatory process, as well as a psychological process. And cognitive decline, there is probably nothing that is greater in no other um, causes that are more important that inflammation, brain inflammation for cognitive decline, leading to Alzheimer's or other, some other kind of dementia. No, that's absolutely right. And so the, the diet that I talk about in the book has four different pillars. The healthy brain diet has four pillars, and I call them neurogenic, 
ketogenic, anti-inflammatory, and gut-friendly. And the anti-inflammatory piece is enormously important because the standard American diet is a recipe for inflammation. It's a recipe for anxiety, depression, and cognitive decline. You couldn't eat better to produce those things, right? Mm -hmm. High sugar, high bad fat, low fiber, processed foods. You couldn't come up with a diet that's worse for the brain, worse for your mental health, as well as your physical health, right? The obesity epidemic um, and this inflammatory epidemic, really. Um, so we want to be able to eat foods that are anti-inflammatory and avoid foods that are pro-inflammatory, meaning we need to avoid things like vegetable oils that have high amounts of linoleic acid, which is an omega-6. So, you know, one there's an omega-3, omega-6 balance in the body. We evolved to have like a one-to-one -one or maybe a one-to-two omega-3 to omega-6 balance. Omega-3s are anti-inflammatory. Omega-6s are pro-inflammatory. We need about one-to-one -one or one-to-two. The standard American diet is one-to-20, sometimes even one-to-30. That is a powerfully inflammatory diet. You can't feel good for very long on a diet like that. You're going to start feeling bad after a while. So we need to switch to a diet that has many different kinds of anti-inflammatory nutrients in it and start leaving out some of the things like vegetable oils, cooking in vegetable oils. Nobody should do that. Seed oils, high linoleic acid. We want to be cooking in things like butter or ghee or coconut oil. Oh, thank or you. Lard. Very, uh, thank you for the coconut oil. <laughs> yes. by, by the way, just a little a little, little uh, heads up, folks. If you are going to cook with coconut oil, you know how sometimes you'll put the oil in the pan, you know, to let it heat up? Coconut oil will actually ignite into flames at a lower temperature than your regular oil. So be careful. We had this happen to us where we had the pan right where we normally do. Put the coconut oil in there, and poof, we had uh, put the lid on it, put the fire out. But uh, let me tell you, uh, you got to be careful. You, I, I, I have to share this. It's been almost a year, and I'm going to give you the dates. July 23rd of 2020. Uh, I one that evening uh, we had had dinner. And there were just happened to be two Coca-Cola bottles, glass bottles, in the refrigerator. Small ones, needless to say. Now, uh, the justification back then was, well, it's a Mexican Coke, and so it has real sugar. Okay? It's not something other than. And, um, and my blood sugar was pretty normal. All It's been pretty much normal. I have been pre-diabetic. But then my blood sugar would be back to normal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The 24th, oh, by the way, I drank both of them that night. The 24th, I went in to see my physician because I'd been drinking a lot of water and peeing a lot. And, of course, when I told my wife this, she says, you better make an appointment because she knew. And I had this feeling that that was a symptom of. So he, they checked my blood sugar that morning of the 24th of July, 2020, 544. 
ran the blood ran the blood test. Uh, the test came back A one C eleven point two. Now, I always do things in extremes. When I was diagnosed with high blood pressure, my high end was, uh, what was it, 182, 184 over 120. And, of course, my wife working in cardiology says, you're in the stroke zone. We need to do something, da 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 da, da. So I've, I'm, that part's under control. So anyway, the doc is telling me there in July, you know, this is going to be a long journey, Richard. After about a half hour of getting through the shock of being diagnosed, I said, uh, no, it's not. This type 2 diabetes is going to be temporary. And this is where I, I hope this is an example to others. And I would love for you to expound on this particular aspect uh, that you alluded to earlier about our Western diet, uh, which has basically created the perfect storm for this virus and pandemic. People are dying of what they're calling underlying causes. Well, gee, you know, if we'd taken better care of ourselves, there would be no underlying causes. And most of those people probably would have survived. Anyway, I got the meter. I got the little, uh, all of the accoutrement. And I began testing my blood sugar. And I made the commitment that day, not only to my doctor, but also to my wife. And my doc says, what's your goal, Richard? And apparently some people say, well, it's to get it down to 200. It's to you know, get it down to here. I said, no. I said, my goal is to get my blood sugar back to normal, where all of my other blood sugar results for the last eight, nine years were normal. You know, 100, 110, A1C of 5.7. Before the middle of September, my blood sugar was back to 100 to 110. Less than two months. Can it be done? You betcha. It can be done. But you have to. And one of the things my wife told me when we see these commercials for these chemicals, these 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 uh, uh, prescription drugs for uh, getting your A1C down to seven. I'm going seven. What? I did it in two, two, less than two months. She says the problem is most of the people who are taking these drugs don't have the willpower to stop change and modify their diets all we did we went back to the diet we were on before the pandemic started because when the pandemic started what did everybody do doc they went to comfort foods and i'll bet you that many many more people who are still alive today who don't have the virus are probably type 2 diabetic they weren't before so I, I have to use myself as the example, Doc, and I want you to talk about this. We have to, we have to cr uh, come up with the willpower to do it. But one of the problems is when you talk about cognitive decline, it seems to me that that's part of where that willpower has got to come from. I mean, we can't chain people down and say we're going to force feed you the right stuff so that you, you feel better and you don't have this cognitive de uh, de decline. You have to choose this. I mean, it's it seems like it's a no win situation from from where some people are. Uh, is that is that is that fair to say that some people, because they have the anxiety, the depression, the cognitive decline and a bunch of other stuff that's going on, they're not thinking straight. And so yeah. they're not going to make those changes that are going to benefit them. It's true. It's true. Um, I think that beyond willpower, however, there's also simply information that a lot of these people simply don't know the facts. 
Type 2 diabetes is almost entirely a lifestyle disease, meaning a dietary choice disease. So you're right that when you cut out sugar and carbohydrates, you begin to increase your insulin sensitivity and come out of type 2 diabetes. It's entirely reversible for most people. And most people only have to go there. And so in terms of the four pillars of the healthy brain diet, this is the second pillar, ketogenic or low carb, because 80% of Americans have some degree of insulin resistance. And type two diabetes is also an epidemic. It's linked to being overweight and it's linked to insulin resistance. Again, eating high amounts of carbs, which eventually turn into sugar, and high amounts of sugar, eventually the body becomes resistant to it and type two diabetes sets in. Now, your hemoglobin A1C, it's always good to know that for everybody. And it turns out that even in lower than the diabetic ranges, pre-diabetic and even lower than that, every 10th of a point increase in your A1C results in more rapid cognitive decline. So one of the most important things you can do for your brain's health is to make sure that your A1C is down and you're getting it down from 11 to into the fives is fantastic. If you can get it down into 5.2 or below, that's, that's even better because cognition is directly related to that because high blood sugar creates inflammation as well. And that's one of the ways that cognition decreases. Um, it, it also is a kind of dirty fuel. Like most people only use glucose as fuel, but glucose has a lot of byproducts, creates oxidation, inflammation, other toxic byproducts. So it's a dirty fuel. But when people are able to fuel themselves through ketones, through using fat, burning fat, that's a very clean fuel. And so in the healthy, in the, there, there's two phases to this diet, sort of the healing phase and the maintenance phase. And in the healing phase, I suggest people go ketogenic or at least as low carb as they can. And in the maintenance phase, then just as low carb as they, they can be. So um, there's a guy named Richard Veach, who was a Harvard researcher who looked at the impact of ketones on metabolism and found that the heart's mitochondria operate at 28% greater efficiency when they're fueled by ketones rather than glucose. So it turns out that the mitochondria of the brain and that of the heart are very, very similar. So if you can imagine your brain operating at 28% greater capacity, that's what happens when you get onto a ketogenic diet and you enter into what's called nutritional ketosis. And so it's like your brain is sort of operating at high octane. It's almost like we go from operating on four or five cylinders to all six cylinders or eight cylinders. It's like it's operating at a higher level. And the word that's being used by researchers is neuroprotective. Ketones are neuroprotective. So they're being used in clinical trials with Alzheimer's, again, with anxiety, with depression. I've been seeing this for years in my clinical practice. 
that when people move into a ketogenic diet, they are more stable emotionally. There's a greater sense of clarity. There's a greater sense of mental energy. The brain fog lifts. And there is a kind of just smooth functioning, a stability which sets in, which is very helpful. So your um, wake-up call around sugar was fantastic and great that you were able to really um, make that change. And I think that many more people would if they just had the information. Most doctors are not trained in nutrition. You know, the medical schools made a decision in the 1920s not to give med medical education around diet and nutrition. They decided to focus on drugs instead. And I think that's a real shame. So most doctors have never had more than a one-hour lecture on nutrition. Mm. So it's a shame because they end up being uh, drug pushers, really, as the best thing they know. Not that they're bad or evil. They're just, I think many of them are simply just ill-equipped to really understand some of these metabolic problems. Functional medicine is kind of coming to the rescue here. And so many physicians are tuning into that. And this book can be considered a kind of functional psychology book. Well, let me ask you uh, about your training. Were you trained in the traditional, typical AMA uh, uh, schools? Or did you start out saying, I want to go holistic? I started out, I wanted to go holistic, but I'm not an MD. I'm a PhD. A PhD. So I'm a psychologist. Okay. And I've been a psychology professor for most of my life, um, teaching therapists, teaching neuroscience, and really, particularly the past 10 years, really trying to translate a lot of the more recent neuroscience research into sort of common language, because there's a lot of very interesting neuroscience research out there that nobody knows about. It's in PubMed journals, <clears throat> but it should be available, excuse me, <clears throat> to everybody. Um, and if I can just say one of the other important things out of neuroscience that I think is hugely important, it's the discovery of neurogenesis. So we've known about neuroplasticity for a few decades. Neuroplasticity is where the brain is always making new connections among itself. But they didn't think that the brain made new brain cells until the past 15 or 20 years, right? They, they used to think that the brain stopped growing when you were in your early 20s, and then it was just one slow die-off after that. But they've come to realize that the brain makes new brain cells throughout our entire lifetime. So they didn't know the significance of this at first, but now they've come to realize that our emotional state and our cognitive state is determined by our neurogenic rate. So people think of the brain as like a computer. Mm -hmm. That's a terrible analogy because a computer is dead, right? The, the brain is not like a static computer chip. It's more like an amoeba. It's more like an organism that is always in movement. Every new experience changes the brain. Every new learning enhances neurogenesis and synaptogenesis. So it turns out that this rate of growth, this neurogenic rate, they did an experiment with mice where they increased their rate of neurogenesis by five times. And they found that they became 
not quite super mice, but kind of close. Mm -hmm. They learned faster. They were smarter. They figured things out faster. They were protected against anxiety and depression and stress much, much more so than their normal neurogenesis rate peers. So our neurogenic rate is the most important biomarker of brain health and emotional health that we know of. Mm. And most people, due to all the neurotoxins, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, bring about, those bring about neurogenic slowing. The brain becomes sluggish. That, that movement slows down. And so what we want to do is increase that neurogenic rate. When our neurogenic rate is high, it feels just great to be alive, right? There's a, just a vitality. You jump out of bed and it's like you can hardly wait to meet the day. It's like the brain wants to engage the world in a flowing kind of way. And when our neurogenic rate is high, that's what we feel like. When life knocks us down, which inevitably is going to do, we have the resilience to bounce back. Um, it's not that we're always happy, but when bad things happen, we deal with it and we come back. So the first pillar of the healthy brain diet is neurogenic. There are 30 or 40 different nutrients that I list in the book that dramatically increase our rate of neurogenesis and neuroplasticity also called synaptogenesis. And as that increases, we move out of anxiety, out of depression, and out of cognitive decline into cognitive enhancement. We actually can live at a much higher level than our ancestors did, or that we even think we do. We can. Mm. It's like we've become used to operating at a kind of lower level of functioning and we don't realize how much better things could be until we sort of get to that higher level. And so the book, although it's about healing anxiety, depression, and cognitive decline, it's really about peak brain function. It's really operating at a higher level of health. You know, uh, as you are talking, questions are just racing through my head, and I'm going to start with one of them, and we'll see where that goes. Uh, which is part of the beauty of this program, that uh, the universe is asking the questions. I'm just along for the ride. Uh, but fortunately, I have a very creative and inquisitive, curious mind. Um, we have one of the greatest pharmaceutical manufacturing plants ever devised, by whom... I don't know. I'm not even going to go there at this moment. But the bottom line is we create so many different chemicals in our bodies that the pharmaceutical industry uh, would just be in awe and probably is to some degree. And which is the reason why the more off balance that we are, the more um, malnourished, if you will, that we are, the more inflamed we are, the more diseased we are, anxious, depressed, etc., the better they like it. So it is incumbent upon us to consume, to ingest, I should say, not consume, but to ingest into our bodies those foods and liquids that 
will help the chemists within our pharmacy to create the various drugs, okay, or medicines or what have you, that we will be using over the course of time. When it comes to that aspect of our biology and our physiology, Doc, what are some of the better uh, the better foods? Not the best, not the superfoods necessarily, but just, and, and you've alluded to those we need to stay away from, but what about some of those that would really help the, pharma- the pharmacy to create those chemicals, those medicines, those ingredients that would help us live a better life and in turn repair some of the damage that has been done over the years because as you started talking about cell regeneration, I always found it funny that they told me every seven years the body has a, is brand new because over the course of seven years we generate a whole new set of cells. And then to say that, except for the brain. And that just doesn't make any sense. From a scientific standpoint, it's like, what are you, throwing the logic out when you think about the brain? How is it, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And then, of course, I remember hearing, of course, as a kid growing up, alcohol. Don't drink a lot of alcohol because you'll, you'll kill brain cells. Well, maybe that's true, but they will be replaced, as you have already alluded to. But let's talk about uh, the chemical factory of the human body and supporting it and sustaining it. What are some of the, 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 the ways you have discovered to do that from yeah. a holistic standpoint? That is the million-dollar question. You, you've hit on the million-dollar question. Here's that's, my checkbook. That, no, that's that's great. That's great. <laughs> that is sort of what the thrust of this book is about. So there are a number of things which are fantastic to do for the brain. Probably the single most important thing anybody can do is omega-3 fatty acids, fish oil. Most people need three or four grams of that a day. So your brain is made up of about 60% fat. And of that, a third to a half of it is DHA. DHA is one of the three omega-3 fatty acids, right? There's ALA, which isn't very important, EPA, which is a good anti-inflammatory, and DHA, which makes up much of the brain. They did an experiment with monkeys where they raised a group of monkeys on a low omega-3 diet and another group on a high omega-3 diet. And then they looked at their brains. And the low omega-3 diet monkeys had very simple, undifferentiated brains. But the high omega-3 diet monkeys had very complex, richly differentiated brains, almost like humans. It is the fundamental building block of the brain. And if we want to build a new brain, we need to use high quality material. So most people need two to th- or three to four grams of high quality omega-3, meaning molecularly distilled, so it doesn't have mercury in it, which is a powerful neurotoxin. Green tea extract, very powerful for stimulating neurogenesis and synaptogenesis. We want the equivalent of probably 10 to 15 cups of green tea a day, but we don't want that much caffeine. So you can do caffeine-free extracts just in a capsule. 
Um, blueberries, great for the brain. Oh, love blueberries. <laughs> anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, and powerful neurogenic stimulators. Um, hesperidin is a bioflavonoid from citrus fruits that keeps new brain cells alive, right? The brain tends to prune some of these new brain cells, but if we do hesperidin, that keeps the survival rate closer to 100%. Um, luteolin, apigenin, again, the book goes into a number of these and has sort of the top 10 um, in one of the appendices. So these things strongly enhance the body's capacity to make and repair the brain. And pharmaceutical companies are taking these same compounds and trying to tweak them a little teeny bit so they can patent them and make drugs out of them. What if Mother Nature is already, as you've alluded to, the best pharmacist around, the best um, pharmacologist around, and has already given us what we need naturally? I, I think in many ways it has, because there are things which not only increase the neurogenic rate, but there are certain nutrients also that help with anxiety, some that help with depression, and some that also help with cognitive decline. Um, you know, one other piece to this is the microbiome. Um, in talking about these four pillars of neurogenic, ketogenic, anti-inflammatory, gut-friendly is the fourth. So they've done experiments where they've taken mice who were genetically bred to be anxious. And they've taken another group of mice that were genetically bred to be fearless explorers. And they took the microbiome from each and they exchanged them. And when the fearless mice got the anxious mice's microbiome, they became anxious. And when the anxiety, um, the high anxiety mice were given the microbiome of the fearless mice, they became fearless. So the microbiome trumps genetics, or rather the microbiome switches those epigenetic signals that turn on anxiety or reduce anxiety. The same is true of depression. There are a couple of probiotics out there which have shown to decrease depression scores by 50%. Same with cognition. There are certain probiotics out there which have been shown to increase cognition as well. So the state of our gut health also has a, a massive influence on our brain health. You know, 90% of our neurotransmitters are produced in the gut by the microbiome. A lot of that doesn't make it to the brain, but some of it does. And the vagus nerve has a big influence on how we feel as well, So, which is, which is in the gut um, throughout the body, but particularly in the gut. So enhancing our gut health is really important and increasing the microbial diversity we have there. You know, indigenous, you know, we've got like 40 trillion bacteria in our microbiome, about as many cells as we have in our body. And of that, in indigenous cultures, they have about 20,000 different strains of bacteria. Well, in the West, because of antibiotics, 
because of conventional meat, where they were given lots of antibiotics, because of glyphosate foods, most people in the West have 10,000 strains, sometimes as low as 1,000 strains, which is terrible for the immune system because, again, 80% of our immune system is in the gut, in the microbiome. So we want to increase microbial diversity. We want to increase the integrity of the tight junctions. And we want to have an atmosphere. We want to be able to take in foods that support our gut health. So increasing fiber, for example, simply adding a lot of fiber to your diet will increase microbial diversity, increase the number of strains you get. Being in nature and just breathing, you take in hundreds of strains of bacteria. The more natural environments you can be in, whether it's in the ocean, whether it's digging in your garden, whether it's walking in nature, you're taking in hundreds. They colonize your skin, they colonize the inside of your nasal passages, and they eventually get down to your gut. Um, again, the book goes into a number of different strategies for this. And the book is entitled Holistic Healing for Anxiety, Depression, and Cognitive Decline. Brant Courtright, PhD, is my guest. His website is Brant Courtright, that's B-R-A-N-T-C-O-R-T. R-I-G-H-T dot com. We encourage you to go there. We will be linked to your website too, doctor, uh, for people to continue their, process, their, their evolutionary process to better health uh, and wellness. Um, what I have found so fascinating about these conversations about health and well-being is that without focusing on our better health and well-being, it's Maybe not virtually impossible, pardon me for using that word, virtual, um, but it's virtually impossible for one to focus on one's life's purpose, to focus on those, that, those things that are important to us, to dream of things that we would like in our lives. And I'm not talking about cars and homes and things of this nature. I'm talking about relationships with nature with other individuals, group or individual, um, it's just, you, you just can't do it because if you, ha as the old saying goes, if you have your health, you have everything. Because if you don't have your health, you don't really have anything because all you're doing is focused on your health and how you feel. And if you're hurting, then, then you're hurting and then you're focused on that and so on and so forth. Uh, it seems to me that uh, the work that you have done here with this particular book and the work that you do um, is to that end, to help people, not just to feel better, not just to be better, not just to improve our cognition, to, uh, uh, to rewrite the synaptic paths and the network that's going on in our brains. Although I would challenge you on one thing as far as the comparison between the human brain and the computer. AI is getting really close. <laughs> it's getting close. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's like if you, if you had inflammation and you had all of these internal issues going on because the fact is that you were not giving your body the building blocks, as they say. I don't want to use the word fuel, but the building blocks to create a, an optimal... Uh, is the word homeostatic or homeostasis of a, of, a, of a biology and a physiology, 
you wouldn't be a doctor. You wouldn't be a psychologist. You wouldn't have gone down this road because you'd be too focused on, oh, my God, my arm is killing me and I feel terrible in my gut and my heart is pounding like crazy and I've got high blood pressure and type 2 diabetes and, and the list goes on and I can barely walk and I'm 360 pounds, you know, and, and, and so forth. And that's really what you're talking about here is for people to thrive because when they're not in the good health, they're just surviving. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And there's so much static then that that produces. It is hard to focus on the important things in life. And so I think of this as we need to work on the physical level to build up our brain as healthy as possible. But we also need to work psychologically as well. And so there are different psychological processes that are good to explore when it comes to anxiety, very different ones around depression, very different ones around cognitive decline mm -hmm. and using our brain. Um, and part of this then is the spiritual level of finding meaning, right? It's like having a meaningful life also is part of optimal brain health. And being able to have a healthy enough brain to be able to focus on that is very helpful. And also, I think the reverse is also true, that if there we have a kind of sense of meaning, we can then begin to make sense of, well, why am I sick? What is this about? What is this meant to teach me? Um, is there some lesson in here? What is the meaning of it? And the meaning may be purely physical. The meaning may be emotional. The meaning may be, it may, I think most people have a kind of unique signature of spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical causes to whatever dysfunction they're talking about, to whatever kind of pain they're in. And so I think a holistic approach is really important. And it's not that I'm against like antidepressants, for example. I think sometimes they can be a lifesaver, but I think they're mostly way, way, way overprescribed. And that psychiatric medication tends to suppress the symptoms. Sometimes that's really helpful just to get through a day if you're having a terrible panic attack. But the problem is that the pharmaceutical industrial medical complex tends to operate on a subscription model. And tends to see these things as biological illnesses requiring medication for the rest of your life. Yeah. The problem with that is that as you take these things, your body then, like say you take a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, your body then begins to downregulate its own production of serotonin. And as it turns out, there really is no serotonin deficiency, right? We've all been told that depression is a result of the serotonin deficiency. There is none. Um, Test after test, as research after research has, has shown that most people who are depressed have very normal levels of serotonin. Some studies have shown they actually have higher than normal levels of serotonin. A few have also shown lower, but mostly they tend to show normal levels of serotonin. When you take an SSRI, what that does is that is one way of increasing neurogenesis and synaptogenesis. And it's that that brings a person out of depression similar with anxiety. We need to increase the person's neurogenic rate. We need to get the person up to neurogenic speed so that the brain is growing, it's living, it's moving, it's moving forward. And that 
allows a, just an aliveness to life. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of comparison between the past and the present. As you were just talking of this, the thing flashed in my mind that, granted it was men who did this, but the men who drafted and created the documents under which this country, country was founded, the, 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 the Declaration of Independence, the preamble to the Constitution, the Constitution of the United States, the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments, I will bet you that if you could have gone back in those days and run tests to see what their metabolism was like, what their meta, uh, biophysiological makeup was, I will bet you they were, shall we say, they were at a premium of health. And ever since then, as we have, I find it hard to use the word evolved, because evolve implies moving and growing and expanding forward. Uh, but as we have done that, we've actually begun to decline, which is one of the one of the reasons, I think, and, and I'd love your thoughts on this, that we are now in the situation that we're in, that because the people who are now have been in charge for the last 10, 15, 20, even 25 years, maybe more, have been subject to the kinds of diets that we have here in the West specifically, they don't have the capacity, they don't have the thought process, they don't have the logic and the reasoning abilities to solve the problems that you and I know are certainly solvable, but we don't have the power, the control, no one's listening to us in one sense. Yeah, yeah. Is I, that a fair mm. observation and assessment? Yeah, no, I think that's right. That it, I think Dickens was right when he said it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. <laughs> In some ways, it's never been worse for the brain. It's never been a more neurotoxic environment. <laughs> On the other hand, we now more, know more about the brain than we've ever known before. And so we can take it to a higher level than ever before. So back when they were writing the Constitution, they weren't eating a lot of sugar. They were eating good fats. They were eating what we think of as a pretty good diet. Um, very different than the standard American diet, however. Um, now we can take that and actually take it even to a higher level so that we can increase the neurogenic rate beyond what it was even of our ancestors. And so we, I think we now have the possibility for a level of health that is beyond what we've ever seen in human evolution, at the same time as the general level of health is lower than it's ever been at any time. You know, uh, I, when we talk about health and well-being and the foods to eat and so forth, and then we start talking, and the word always comes up. I've, I've actually detested this word when talking about uh, growing food because... It implies that there is something so unique and different. And I say, look, you can slap a label on anything, call it whatever you want, and it could still be bad for you. And that word is organic. Now, in the days of our founding fathers, they didn't use organic farming. They just farmed because they didn't have pesticides. They didn't have those chemicals. It was just farming. 
I'm hoping one day we can get back to just calling it farming, growing, uh, uh, gardening, not organic gardening. Just we're just gardening. Uh, just as if, uh, just so as well as getting back to a good health and well-being and and so forth. Um, and I'm I'm kind of with you now. I myself, and my doctor does not listen to this program. I'm pretty sure, but I don't care if he knows this or not. I'm going to tell him anyway. I was put on, of course, the traditional um, diabetic uh, um, pill called metformin, and he says I want you to take two every day. And I did for a little while. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to play with this a little bit. And I'm going to say, I'm going to take one. Because I'm changing my diet. I'm changing how I'm doing. And I did. And, of course, my blood sugar stayed down. So now I'm waiting for my appointment. This is as of our conversation that I am going to, um, hopefully he'll say, okay, you can stop taking it. Because I even asked him at the front end of the whole thing, I said, so how long are you going to have me on this? He said, well, this is a long journey, Richard, and I'm, that didn't answer my question. And I just got a refill on the prescription <laughs> of 180 cat tablets. Now, for me, that's 180 days, not 90. Um, but as I said, I changed my diet. Back to what it was. I've never been on a diet, mind you. Uh, it's just I've been I modified my I, I have taken very little dairy. OK, I like cheese. Cheese is good as far as diabetic uh, diabetes is concerned. Uh, Matt, by the way, there was one element that really freed me up. It didn't give me carte blanche, mind you. Portion control. That is huge. You remember um, not too many years ago and maybe some places still do this. Restaurants. Uh, there, there was one called. um Oh, I can't remember the name of it. In Phoenix, we had a restaurant, and their slogan was, we don't fool you, we feed you. You couldn't see the plate because there was so much food on the plate. And the smorgasbord restaurants, I'm glad most of them, if not all of them, have been shut down during the pandemic. We don't need that. We're eating not just the wrong things. We're eating too much, even of the right things. So when I heard about portion control, and it took me a little while to, you know, shift back. Because I love mashed potatoes. I love uh, baked potatoes, you know, and that kind of thing, which I know are not good for inflammation. I, I get that. Um, I love tomatoes. But my wife said, it's not the tomato, it's the seeds. If we scrape the seeds out, you're good to go. I thought, okay, great. Because she's been doing research on this, too. And uh, so... A portion control freed me up to pretty much eat whatever I wanted, with a few exceptions. Uh, she got me one of these tubes with these little, um, almost like sweet tart little tablets, that if I ever felt like I needed a sugar boost, this is what it was for, for a person who had low blood sugar at that particular moment. Um, I can have ice cream, small portions. I could have a candy bar, maybe a Reese's peanut butter cup, once every week or two or something like that. I have not, as of our conversation, Doc, I haven't had a soda, a soft drink, uh, one of the name brands, since the 23rd of July 2020. Now, I've replaced that with the flavored sparkling or mineral, uh, not mineral, the, the sparkling waters, because I like the fizz. But these don't have calories, they don't have carbs, and they don't have sugar. But there's something people need to be aware of with these. You need to check the ingredients because one of them that I did buy 
And I went through this back in 1983 when aspartame equal was on the market and coming out. Some of these, they will have sucrose or some other sugar substitute, but some of them will have aspartame. And the one thing I did learn about aspartame, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, according to one uh, biologist that I had on the program, it turns to formaldehyde, to which I asked a mortician on another program that I did, so how's business these days? He says, what's changed? I says, he says, well, we're using less embalming fluid because people are embalming themselves while alive with products containing equal or aspartame, not to mention pregnant women uh, who consume aspartame and diet sodas and so forth. Uh, there's this condition, if I'm not correct, called, uh, oh, come on, uh, phenylketonuria. I think that's how it's pronounced. And when you were talking about ketones, that word kept bouncing in my head. I was trying to pronounce it right because it's phenylketonuria. I don't think that's the same thing. But needless to say, it's, it's a, I even asked the gal, uh, the nutritional gal that was there at the radio station when I was interviewing her back in 83. She was, of course, a spokesperson. I says, now, so all of the tests have been done and this is found to be perfectly safe. Yes, it is. So my, she gives us, back then they used to give you, uh, you know, sample stuff, right? So she gave me this box full of stuff that had equal in it. I took it home to my first wife and I. My first wife uh, became very nauseous over the course of uh, several weeks. I was in mood swings that I'd never been in before. So I got off of it. And then I said, okay, I want to make sure that's what it was. So I went back on. Same thing happened. So... I stay away from anything that has aspartame in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, that's another one of those toxins that you've talked about that we, yeah. you know, they talk about how we've given away our privacy, especially on social media or when we're uh, getting an app online and they tell you, here's the terms and conditions. Do you agree? And have you ever read those? I haven't. I just click. Okay, I accept. And we freely and willingly give away our rights without even thinking about it. And we're doing the same thing with the foods that we eat. We're giving away our health, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. Um, if people simply switch to eating organically, they will eliminate 80% of the poisons and, and pesticides in their, uh, in their environment. Absolutely. <clears throat> it's the best thing they can do for their health. It may be a little more expensive, but you save it in the long run. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> By the way, folks, this is the book, Holistic, Hel Holistic Healing for Anxiety, Depression, and Cognitive Decline. My guest has been Dr. Brent Courtright, Ph.D. He is not a medical doctor. He is a psychologist, correct? That's right. Uh, and uh, we encourage you to go to his website, which is brantcourtright.com, B-R-A-N-T-C-O-R-T-R-I-G-H-T.com. We'll be linked to his website as well, so you can find out more, maybe even order a copy of his book. Uh, I, just out of curiosity, I always like to ask this of my guests who've written books. Not everybody does, but um, is this yet available in Audible, or will it be? Um, not yet. Um, it's only ebook and paperback at this point. Well, right. I know a lot of folks would love to pick up a copy, uh, especially the hard copy, paperback, if you will, because uh, it's kind of nice to hold in your hands and reference it and so forth. You don't have to grab your phone. You can stay away from. And by the way, speaking of uh, social media that I referred to earlier, I'm I'm hearing reports that people by the millions are dropping off of many of the social media platforms by the millions. 
And it's like, you know, some people probably thought Facebook, for example, which is one of them that people are dropping off of, was going to be around forever. Everything is temporary. Your health is temporary. Your life is temporary. And so are the conditions under which we do live and breathe and, uh, and, and, and play and work and, and relate to one another. All of this is temporary. So let's make the best of it. I think that's really the message here from our guest here, uh, Dr. Courtright. Dr. Courtright, I want to thank you, first of all, for joining us here on the program. I, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this. You have... Uh, you ought to be a physician with the knowledge that you have. My wife ought to be at a ca- be a cardiologist after nearly 50 years as an MA and a, a tech and all this kind of stuff. She probably knows more than some of those cardiologists up on the third floor. You you really, I don't know, you, probably you could take the exam and pass it. <laughs> I really think so. Well, thank you for having me on your show. This has been a real pleasure talking with you. I, I appreciate just your enthusiasm about health as, as well. Um, I am just completely aligned with this idea of that we need to go more and more naturally and, and not go the pharmaceutical route. Sometimes that's necessary. Sure. But it's way overdone, it seems like. And we don't want symptom suppression. We want real healing of the brain and the self. Yeah. I will throw in one uh, little caveat as far as uh, brain regener- uh, cell regeneration that I've been frustrated about. I have glaucoma in my left eye. I have no vision in my left eye. I had very little vision when I was a child anyway, 2400. And the thing that has uh, perplexed me is that if I cut my finger or my, if I cut my hand, a scratch or what have you, within the course of maybe two, three weeks, because I'm older now, <laughs> uh, it will heal there probably won't be a scar, and you will, I would never know that I had done that. Mm-hmm. So the cells regenerated to a quote-unquote normal condition. But my eye regenerates those cells too, but not to a normal condition. Mm. And that, to me, is perplexing. You talked about brain cell regeneration and neuroplasticity. Well, where's the ocular... <laughs> Ocular plasticity. Uh, I'm very curious. I I would think that somewhere along the way with stem cell research and all of these uh, uh, CRISPR things of that nature, that there must be a way to reinstruct cells of a particular organ, what have you, uh, to regenerate back to a healthy, fully functional condition. And that may be science fiction now, but I have a feeling we may get there one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah. Yes. yes. I have three final questions for you before we let you go. Uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. Before I ask you those three final questions, let me let our listeners know that we are here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We are also podcasting these programs on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, many other locations that you folks are reposting. Hey, thank you. I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. We also ask that if you can support the work that we are doing financially, we have a PayPal and Patreon account for your security as well as ours. And I ask you, this is an area we didn't get into, Doc, and I wish we had more time to do that. Maybe we'll have you back and go into this area as well. But I'm asking our listeners and our viewers who are on YouTube uh, watching these programs, that's where we are also, 
to spend time going within, spending time during this decade of perfect vision, speaking of vision, uh, to listen to that still small voice and to find that calm, peaceful, quiet place where you can just kind of relax. And who knows, maybe you will get some instruction from that voice that will tell you, you know, you'd be better off to put put away the, the, the orange sherbet ice cream, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But for now, let's put that away and maybe have a few more fruits and maybe more blueberries, you know, um, whatever the case might be, and, and get you back to optimum health. So please take the time during this decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s, to do just that. The first of my three questions, doctor, are, number one, who is Brant Courtright? <laughs> wow, I've never been asked that before. Um I guess I am a seeker, I am a psychologist, and a, uh, a father, um, and yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a healer, I guess, more than anything, I would say a healer and a teacher. Um, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I would like to increase the world's brain health. I think we are in a crisis of brain health right now, an unrecognized crisis of brain health, where almost everybody is suffering from some degree of a weakened brain. And that when the brain becomes healthy again and strong and robust, then many of the problems we have right now disappear because we can think more lucidly, more clearly. We have more openness of heart. We have a greater sense of peace inside. It's easier to have loving relationships with other people. When the brain is under assault, when we feel anxious, when we feel depressed, when we feel like our cognition is shrinking, it's like the brain knows something is wrong. Like people like conspiracy theories or this or that. It's like the brain knows something is wrong, but it doesn't know what. It's under assault. It is under assault from so many directions. And that creates this sense of crisis, the sense of something is terribly wrong. I don't know what it is. And so I'll, I'll latch onto this or I'll latch onto that. Whereas when the brain is healthy, when it is robust, when it is really moving and growing, life is a joyous adventure. And we want to simply engage and participate with it. And that, if I can contribute to that in some way, that would be my ideal. And my final question, which may have already been answered, is what is your life's purpose? Mm, boy. Um, well, I first of all imagine I can't entirely encapsulate it, but um, I want to tune into, understand, know, become my deepest soul, my deepest self. I want to actualize my... Um, my soul and my 
way of doing that in the world is an expression of my soul's purpose, but there is a deeper inner um, aspiration for the divine, for all things divine. Mm. And the more and more I can align with that, the more and more I feel in purpose. Well, Dr. Brandt Courtright, again, I thank you so much for giving us so much time here on the program. And when you re made reference to being a dad, uh, just based upon this uh, short conversation of over an hour, uh, I would have to say that your kids are uh, pretty fortunate that uh, just just from your demeanor as we've conversed here and your concern for well-being, uh, they must have uh, they must be turning out pretty awesome. They are pretty awesome. But thank you for that. <laughs> and I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.